0: Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Becky Koenig, a reporter here at EdSurge. You've probably seen big stories in the press about how some of the nation's largest employers, including places like Walmart and Chipotle, now offer their workers free or super low-cost college education as a perk. This trend has been exploding in the past few years, and in many cases, the option involves online programs at colleges selected by the employers. Of course, that was back when the economy was humming and unemployment hit record lows, all before the pandemic. I've been curious to find out whether and how the last few months have changed the outlook for employer supported education. Is this idea going on hold or will it vanish under today's financial pressures? To find out, I connected with Rachel Carlson, CEO and co-founder of Guild Education. It's a company that helps other large companies connect workers with education programs. In fact, its clients include Walmart and Chipotle and many other large retailers. The company works with all kinds of education providers from master's degrees and bachelor's degrees providers to uh, organizations that offer skill certificates. Some of these programs are operated through public universities, while others come from newer providers like boot camps. We don't invite many CEOs to be guests on the podcast, but then again, there aren't many CEOs leading higher education companies that have become unicorns which is Silicon Valley speak for startups that are valued at over $1 billion. Guild recently hit that milestone. Carlson and I discussed the role employer-backed education might play in pandemic recovery for workers who have been affected the most. And she also shared thoughts about whether higher ed is dividing into two tracks. One focused on skills and the other focused on degrees and on the different reasons why, in her words, students hire colleges to offer them education services. I started out by asking her to tell listeners a little bit about Guild and how it works.
1: Sure. Um, At Guild, we are on a mission to unlock economic opportunity for the 88 million Americans who need upskilling and reskilling in order to have a real fighting chance at uh, middle-class career, family-sustaining wages, and and being able to, to survive and hopefully thrive in the future of work. Um, so the way we do that is we work on one side with large, mostly Fortune 1000 employers to help offer education uh, to their employees. And that ranges from high school completion programs all the way through bachelor's and master's degrees as well as credentials and certificates. And the way we uh, provide all of those education programs is through a marketplace of high quality, uh, low cost nonprofit and public universities as well as innovative bootcamp providers and certificate providers um, that offer a wide variety of education options.
0: So it sounds like Guild and its client companies are not necessarily Uh, super concerned about whether education is happening through a more traditional institution or something a little more innovative. And I'm curious if you could talk a little more about why that is. Sure.
1: When we started five years ago, companies were kind of only thinking about bachelor's and associate's degrees for their employees. But we've seen a tremendous shift there. And and we like to think that on the margins, we've helped push companies to think a little bit differently there. But the the global shift has been far greater than anything we could have influenced. Um, You know, I, I often find that there's a false choice presented to low and middle income Americans. Path one is leave the workforce, go to school full time. That's the higher ed path. Or, quote unquote, workforce development, which happens at the behest of your company. It helps your company, not you. It's about learning how to be better for your company. I think that's a, a really false choice. I think there's a huge Venn diagram that overlaps where, um, for example, someone in our Lowe's program who might be moving from a retail job at Lowe's into becoming a skilled tradesperson, they might also at the time be taking business classes because if you ultimately become a skilled tradesperson, you're likely going to run your own small business, whether that's in plumbing or carpentry or electrical. And so I think saying that we need to help people have the mix of uh, skills based learning, credential based learning as well as the degree pathways that allow people to have the american dream that their families care a lot about as well as the labor market value that we know still comes from earning a bachelor's degree um, especially for low and middle income americans who haven't had that yet and so our
0: goal is is fundamentally to eliminate that false choice for our students uh obviously Employment, education is all taking place in the context of the pandemic now. And I'm curious if you could tell me six months ago what uh, the economy looked like from Guild's perspective and what it looks like now.
1: Yeah, gosh, so much has changed. Uh, That's stating the obvious. Um, I think the simplest way to describe it is that you know we've always worked with corporations to aim to embed education into their corporate strategy, whatever that corporate strategy was. And in a bull market, that corporate strategy is tied to recruitment, to retention, um, to specific business objectives. And in a bear market or in a recession, in a pandemic, which we're in all of those things, which is just devastating for these companies, um, it really changes their focus but it doesn't eliminate the need for education. It changes the why. And for some of them, the why is now tied to future of work and automation that's being really accelerated as a result of all of the economic upheaval, tied to upskilling and the needs to grow their own talent and really think about, okay, if we're gonna displace workers or we're gonna change the way we work, how do we take care of our people and give them the opportunity to switch into other roles? And then lastly, in outplacement, we work with a lot of companies who are um, facing the, the need to lay off workers. And so we've been working on including education as part of what we think is an ethical outplacement and an ethical offboarding strategy, um, which is a new concept because traditionally that's just been severance or maybe career advising, but instead saying, why don't you take that same amount of money and invest it in helping your workers gain some new skills so they can get a better job if you have to lay them off.
0: That's really interesting. I hadn't considered education benefits as part of uh, a layoff offering or strategy. Can you provide any examples of what that might look like?
1: yeah sure so it's it is a new concept um, I, we we effectively uh, are, are working to, to make it a thing and we hope that com- more and more companies follow but um, we we launched in May in partnership with the acquisition we had done of the entangled team um, a product called next chapter um, which effectively helps build a, a two-sided marketplace for displaced workers so we're working with companies that are in the midst of having to do those displacements as well as working with the the wide variety of companies that are still hiring, and I think that's part of the confusing piece in this um, in this pandemic is that while you know all we're talking about as we should be are the companies going through incredibly difficult times and laying off workers, there are still a lot of companies that are hiring, um, and a lot of those companies face the same skills gaps that we were talking about six months ago in maybe an exacerbated fashion. And so we're trying to figure out how to create skilling opportunities so that workers moving from one industry to another can both acknowledge where they already have those skills and competencies and then fill the gap. So an example of that would be you're in restaurant or retail and you are a really well-tuned customer service provider, right? Like that's what at the end of the day, retail and restaurants, often the the most valued skill is, is customer success and customer support. But uh, those are not great industries to be in right now, right? As the newspapers tell us. And so, helping someone realize, okay, you can transfer those great skills into healthcare, where bedside manner is effectively the, the same expression of great customer support, but in a different environment, or into um, online customer support. But to do either of those things, you're either needing to gain technical skills in healthcare, like becoming a certified nurse assistant, or technical skills on, um, you know, basic in digital environments like Salesforce administration or gain site customer success support. And so uh, helping workers understand which competencies transfer from one industry to another and then how do they supplement those competencies with new skills for a new industry feels really important for the future of
0: work. In terms of your client companies, are they still interested to the same extent they were six months ago in offering upskilling or education benefits, um, or have some of them said, we can't afford this anymore, this is not a priority, check back in in two years if things improve. Yeah. Luckily, all of our all of the clients we've worked
1: with have decided to maintain or actually expand their programs. Um, that's relevant across a variety of economic climates. So there are companies who are hiring like crazy and their companies are, are facing all this disruption. And so they're continuing to invest in the benefit. There are other companies that are having to furlough their employees, but chose to say, hey, while you're on furlough, we'd really like to encourage you to use this benefit and go back to school. And, and the reason for all of this is because over the last five years, we've been able to prove, um, and our companies have validated these results, that the the ROI of investing in your employees' education is quite positive. So we're not asking them to dig deeper into a cost bucket and spend more and more and more. We're instead asking them to make an investment that they've already proven has that ROI um, and and does create value for their company, which makes it an easier choice to do right by their employees. Um, It would would be important to highlight, though, that for, for some new partners, there are definitely CHROs who we know well, who've said, I had to overhaul my entire healthcare plan. I have to figure out return to work strategies. So I need a little bit more time before I can move forward. And so, yeah, it's it's um, it's an, we've, we've tried to be really empathetic and, and supportive um, of the companies that need to, to take some time before launching new programs.
0: Uh, I know, you know, when the labor market was very tight, there's this perspective that offering education benefits to workers is a way to attract people is a way to retain people because they have options elsewhere. And, you know, if, if they can make a, an extra dollar an hour somewhere else, they're going to strongly think about doing that unless you convince them to stay. Um, but it sounds like there's this other reason to offer these um, benefits or programs, and that's uh, because not only do you want to attract people or get them to stay, but what your company needs is different. And the people you hired five years ago maybe don't know how to do the things that you need them to do now. Can you talk a little bit about that? That second component um, you mentioned automation. Um, now everyone's working remotely with if they you know are fortunate enough to be able to do that. So I'm interested in how um, services like What Guild offers address changes in not only you know labor market but also what companies are doing and what they need workers to be able to do today and tomorrow
1: yeah i think that's a great question and a really keen insight and it aligns with what we've always tried to do like we don't believe we are a recruitment or a retention company we believe we're serving the needs of workers which is helping them go back to school and we do that by helping corporations connect education to their corporate strategy. And so when their corporate strategy changes, what you're describing is exactly what happens. And so for us, it's that upskilling value prop. So yeah, if we spent a lot of the last couple of years talking to companies about recruitment and retention, the conversation is much more oriented around upskilling today and reskilling and future-proofing their workforce. Um, And so that, that covers a wide range in digital transformation. We see a lot of companies increasing their consumption of certificates, of credentials that are oriented towards preparing a workforce for a digital world. Um, we say, uh, you know, the, probably the same, but increased focus on training people in skills like IT and computer science um, and the the eternal needs that companies have in hiring in those dimensions, as well as thinking about the other kinds of future of work jobs that aren't going away that maybe just don't get as much attention like in the skilled trades and in allied healthcare. Um, And so those are some of the areas where companies are often seeing a real expanded need or an exacerbated need that they were feeling before the pandemic but are feeling more now than ever. The big difference is just helping people think about do you want to buy all your talent or do you want to build your talent? And I find that really resilient companies are are really
0: taking a pause. And I think all of us are doing this right now and thinking about how do I do a better job building my talent? Um, Mentioning skilled trades, I saw that Walmart recently announced that it was expanding some of its um, education benefits for workers to study skilled trades. And that caught my attention. And I'm interested to know what it means when a huge employer like Walmart signals uh, investment and interest in that kind of training which, you know, is maybe a little bit new.
1: Yeah, um we were excited to see that change and it's something we've seen with other companies and and it uh, impacts Walmart in the same way, which is a real need. I mean, think about you if you run two thousand, four thousand, six thousand stores, which many of our clients do around the country, um those are those are self-sustaining uh little companies in themselves with their own needs for repair in areas like uh, facilities maintenance, industrial maintenance, electrical, plumbing. Um, those also happen to be some of the hardest jobs to hire for, especially in communities of all kinds, right? Because the companies we work with, they have urban stores, they have rural stores, they have suburban. And so um, that's a great example of build your own talent rather than continuing to fight in the job market um, to and spending the enormous amount that gets spent on recruiting and talent acquisition to go try and poach people from other organizations i think it's a really cool way of saying you know how do we build that talent ourselves from folks who are in more traditional roles that might be impacted in the next decades in the future of work uh, like in in retail
0: um we've seen as well signals or what feel like signals from the trump administration to really back skills based training and hiring as opposed to academic credentials based training and hiring Um, you know, we've covered this on edsearch.com a little bit with the White House encouraging uh, federal agencies to do away with mandatory college hiring minimums if possible. Um, there's a new ad campaign, you know, encouraging support for skills-based education that's backed by the White House. And I'm curious what Guild's perspective on this is. Is this a change? Uh, what does it signify? What does it mean For companies and workers. Yeah, I think,
1: you know, broadly speaking, it's the same trend we've all been watching in higher ed for a long time, which is an increased focus in skills acquisition. I don't think it means the erosion of the degree, and I think it goes back to that yes and, because I think, um, I think there's a danger sometimes in uh, in leaders and, and um, kind of the elite standing at a pedestal saying, your you all, your children don't need to go to college. Mine will, but yours just needs skills or just need a credential. We, we really believe it's a yes and, and that's a um, mission-driven perspective as well as an economic perspective. And so my view is that it's fantastic that people are talking more about skills and about skills acquisition, but we need to ensure that those skills stackable, those programs are indeed stackable towards degrees and and signals that are well demonstrated in the labor market to provide people economic opportunity and they're not dead ends, right? Because otherwise you're back into a tracking environment where you're telling one group of population to go left and another to go right. Um, And I think we can avoid that back to the false choice by instead saying, how do we make sure anyone who's acquiring skills and credentials can stack them into future learning? Um, And I think that's a really important conversation that we need to be having, particularly as it relates to economic and racial and ethnic um, demographic populations that are sometimes underrepresented in the higher ed conversation, and really making sure that we're not having uh, a conversation that points one group towards only, only needing to acquire a skill or a credential and another group towards traditional higher ed.
0: Uh, I was going to ask you what you're seeing in terms of labor needs uh, based on racial and gender lines. I've been reading a bit about how, um, you know, perhaps women and especially women of certain groups are disproportionately hurt by this pandemic because women work in retail, um, women work in restaurants, just as an example. And so I'm I'm curious, you know, if you see any breakdowns along demographic lines that inform what Guild has done previously or inform you know, how you're going to operate and advise your client companies going forward?
1: Yeah, so even pre-pandemic, a majority of Guild students were women, a majority of Guild students were students of color, and a majority of them were parents. And so if you look at the groups that have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, those three demographic groups have all uh, certainly qualified as disproportionate negative impact in these circumstances. And then stating the obvious, the vast, vast majority of our students are low or low middle income, which again is the group widely impacted by the pandemic. In fact, I saw something, I can't remember which newspaper right now that shared that 80% of the folks who've lost their jobs so far in the pandemic didn't have a bachelor's degree. And so when you think about all of that compounding, like we have a real challenge ahead of us. And I, you know, I'm putting on my citizen hat a little bit more than my Guild hat here. Like Guild is gonna do everything in its disposal to help here. But I also think it's something that we need to be talking about at the federal level, all of our states, and we need to be talking about as a, as a nation and a community. Um, because it, when something like this happens and different populations are disparately impacted by it, it means we need um, disparate positive programs that help address what's happened as we crawl our way out of this and so i think education is obviously a huge component of that and we know that the programs we offer can be really impactful Um, but i think i I also hope we see some policy changes um, that address the problems holistically
0: i'm interested to ask a little bit more about a skills-focused approach um, to training and credentialing uh, I sat in on a webinar earlier this week um, with companies like Walmart and IBM talking about their strategy, and questions kept coming up from the audience about how you identify a skill, and measure a skill, and assess it, and credential it. and Uh, create a transcript of sorts that follows someone throughout their life and it seems like there's a lot of work being done in this area and I'm interested in your thoughts on it and if Guild has any programs to provide uh, learning records or, or something like that.
1: Yeah, so um, the place we've spent both of our time to address that very head-on that we think is really important is articulating um, skills acquired on the job and helping transfer those into learning records and into college credits as appropriate when the learner wants to build those skills and advance further in their learning journey. So an example of that would be with companies like Chipotle, um, our students are able to earn college credits and and develop a learning record and a transcript for the management training, which is. By the way, really high quality, incredible management training that Chipotle's built over decades for all of its people managers and its store managers, um, and they're able to then uh, have record of that learning as well as transfer it into future learning environments that um, that they want to pursue. And and candidly, I think it's incredible because while you know I. I I've learned management in classrooms, I think you, you often learn some of those skills best when scaffolded with on-the-job training um, and when when contextualized within your job. Um, so those are some of the examples we're seeing. And then obviously we're supporting and working with a lot of the other organizations that are doing formal learning records and interoperable work, um, as well as thinking about how to work with universities as they move more into the skills-based space. And again, just continuing to break down any, any false sense that there's a hard choice here, but in instead helping students spend time both in learning on the job, in learning in informal ways, and in learning in formal ways.
0: I think that there are some universities and more traditional higher ed leaders who do feel threatened by this talk about skills and learning records because, you know, they would say that they've always taught skills and their learning records are called grades and transcripts, so what's the big deal? And I'm uh, interested in whether you see opportunity for public colleges, private, nonprofit colleges here um, to adjust what they're doing or get on board or, you know, keep doing exactly what they're doing because they play a part in the ecosystem. So what might you say to, uh, you know, a more typical college about what's happening in your world and whether they can or should or shouldn't participate.
1: Yeah, you know, we're really fortunate because we work almost exclusively with highly innovative colleges, right? They're ones who are already serving working adults who had already built uh, dynamic and synchronous online programs and were serving people in all 50 states. And so uh, all of our schools are, are have addressed that journey many, many years ago and are, are well on their way. In fact, many of them already have stackable credentials and certificates. Most of them already recognize credit for on the job training. I mean, they've been doing this work for dec- a decade plus. Um, you know, when we're talking to a college that is embarking on this for the first time, I think it's it's back a little bit to the conversation around like jobs to be done. Um, for an 18 year old who's hiring college as a coming of age experience and is, is asking a variety of sets, I don't think those schools have been under as much pressure to think about skills acquisition. I think for schools that are being hired by their students to help them have economic mobility, I think it's a it's a critical conversation they need to be having immediately because if you think of the student as the customer, the student is saying, I want to be able to demonstrate that I've acquired skills and competencies that will help me create economic opportunity for me and my family. Um, and we know to do that, that the labor economy values both demonstration of skills as well as credentials and certificates that are the learning records.
0: Where do you see innovation happening in higher ed? Obviously, I imagine, you know, places like Guild would be top of your list, but you um, Do you see this coming out of online first adult education uh, providers from public community colleges, from, you know, traditional brick and mortar schools? What what stands out to you? What excites you in higher education?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing innovation everywhere right now. Yeah, I, Guild, we're mostly just lucky to be a marketplace because we get to work with all the partners who are, you know, I hope we drive a small amount of the innovation, but we get to work with these organizations that are driving tremendous innovation. Um, I'm, I'm probably a subscriber to the Clayton Christensen model of the innovation happens in the in the corner where no one's paying attention, um, where you're serving, you know, the, the underserved at a lower cost. And so I think the, the most innovative schools are in that bucket. Um, I, and then and, and I think we're seeing... Innovation happening many places outside of schools. I think employers are really one of the most innovative drivers in this space right now. And we feel so fortunate to constantly be brokering conversations between employers and, and universities and learning providers about better closing the, the loop between education firm and employment. And that's not a one-way conversation. It's a circular loop. And we need to be talking to employers if we believe in a lifelong learning economy because they're the folks who are going to be in touch with those workers over, over decades. Um, and so that's probably the most exciting place we see is employers playing a larger role and saying, here's what our future of work looks like. Here's the skills and capabilities we need of our workers. Now, how do we go partner with higher ed to build those? Sometimes in America, it's like you're supposed to go to college for four years and then suddenly have a career, but we don't talk enough about the staircase. And so anytime we're able to help a student take a step up on the staircase in their career through incremental learning that just builds and, and stacks on top of each other,
0: I think that's really motivating. Well, thank you so much for speaking with Ed Surge today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is great. This has been the Ed Surge podcast. Each week, we bring you stories like this one. If you like the show, please share it on social media or tell a friend. And we hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. For more coverage of how higher education is changing, sign up for Ed Surge newsletters or check out our website, edsurge.com. This episode was edited by Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.